electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Risk and reward, why some say it is more attractive now than at any time during this bear market breakdown. Is it really time to add to stocks here? We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Michael Farr, Shannon Sakosha, and Joe Terranova. Let's check the markets as we always do. It's 12 noon in the East. See where we are here. We still have the Dow and the S&P negative. S&P basically flat. And there you go. It goes positive here. NASDAQ good for about 40. 270 is the yield on the 10-year note. And I think, Michael Farr, that is really where I want to begin. What I think is the most critical question, considering the bear market that we've been in, this meaningful bounce that we've had, and whether, in fact, risk-reward has improved. If it is, maybe that means you want to buy stocks. If it hasn't, you want to run. Which is it? Yes. And the problem is, Scott, it's always yes. The fact that the 10-year Treasury seems to be determined to get to 2.5% right now is not a good sign. That doesn't happen when you have an expanding uh, economy, right? So that's kind of a bearish sign for the economy. The yield curve is very close to being inverted, inverted on the one-month, three-month bills up to that 10-year level. So uh, not, not showing signs of great strength. On the other hand, there, we got a terrific employment situation, 3.5%, 3.6% unemployment. Uh, the JOLTS numbers improved a, a little bit. Uh, and I think if you go company by company and listen to these earnings forecasts, some of them are positive. Some of them are showing, look, we've got pricing power, we've got solid balance sheets, our borrowing's in place, and prices have come down on a lot of these shares where the earnings story is still intact. So I think you, you, this is not a market where you buy stocks without earnings. This is not a market where you speculate. But it is a market where you can improve quality, as Stephanie Link has been saying for right. a long time, and that you can find those companies with earnings at better prices. I got some headlines from uh, Charlie Evans uh, of the Fed. Our Steve Leisman has those right now. Breaking, Steve. Yeah, thanks very much, uh, uh, Scott. Charlie Evans uh, saying that a 50 base point hike in September is, quote, reasonable. 75 could be, quote, OK. But he goes on to say that he doesn't think more than 75 is needed. Says policy can change if the economy is in recession. But overall, uh, the Fed is working towards a uh, or at a neutral rate. And he says it has to go to a um, to a restrictive rate over time. So this idea out there, I get a little pushback, uh, uh, Scott, to this general in the bond market that uh, the Fed is done and going to cut deeply next year. Uh, uh, San Francisco Fed President Mary our own John, John Fort that the Fed's work on inflation is, quote, nowhere near almost done. And the inflation numbers are far too high. She said she has been prepared 
trade in the bond market. Obviously, Scott, we kind of expected, as we talked about this last week, that this idea that the Fed had pivoted, there is now a kind of pushback by the Fed or by some Fed officials that uh, some kind of imminent or, or, or early 2023 rate cut is in the works here. Although 50 in September being reasonable, um, you know, he, he could have said, well, 75 seems more reasonable. Uh, he did not. He used the word reasonable, reasonable around 50. Where, does that jive with, with where Evans has generally stood? Are you, are you surprised at all by the remark or no? No, uh, I think Charlie is one of the more, um, what do you want to say, uh, cautious uh, rate hikers out there. He's on board with raising rates with the overall uh, a thrust of Fed policy uh, to fight inflation. But he wants to go, I think, among the, the Fed members a little bit more slowly. I think he's right with the center of the board right now. That's probably, depending upon that inflation report we get next week, uh, in line with a 50 right now. Uh, but that could change to 75 if we do, say, double digits, that we don't see any of the commodity price declines we've seen, Scott, show up in the CPI. Some sense right now that maybe we've reached that peak inflation and that it will come down. But remember, Scott, the number now is nine. The number we got to get to is two. There is a long way to go. And I think Mary Daly's reflecting that. And I don't think Charlie would disagree either. Yeah, Steve, I appreciate it. Thank you for those breaking headlines. So Stephanie sure, Lake, sure. look, not to make too much of, of incremental moves, but the incremental moves that we have gotten since these Evans headlines have crossed are incrementally more positive. I mean, if you want to say it that way, uh, stocks coming off their, you know, the levels that they were at when we started the show, yields ticking a touch lower uh, on that. I mean, it just goes to how we're trying to game what we're supposed to do, whether yeah. the risk reward scenario is in fact better for investors as Marco Kalanovic, which we're really playing off that note that he dumped during our show yesterday. But it's the central question. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're going to remain in very choppy in a trading range. I think there are positives and I think there are negatives. And I don't think you get too euphoric and I don't think you get too negative. Right. So on the positive side, inflation is starting to come down. If you look at energy prices, food prices, the prices paid index yesterday from the ISM manufacturing dropping 18 points, the lowest level since 2020, August 2020. That's very encouraging. We're still really too high, though. As Steve just mentioned, we're at nine in CPI. We have to go to two. So those are the things, though, that we're watching. But, those, but we are making some progress. On the negative hand, we don't know what the Fed is going to do. We don't know what they've already put in place and what that's going to lead to in the economy because there's a lag effect. And also, we also know that the economy is slowing and it's slowing faster than expected. So I think August and September are typically very choppy months in general. I think this year is no different. But on one hand, earnings are holding up and actually I'm encouraged. We're not even seeing a lot of companies lower guides. So that's, that's good. Um, I think that some of the stocks that I'm looking at are down a lot. 20, 30% discounting a lot of bad news. And so I don't want to get over my skis in terms of sector overweights or underweights. I want to be balanced, but I am looking for opportunities when the market's correct. You don't have to chase in this market. Yeah. So, Joe, 10 year, 270, moving a little lower, 260. At what point are falling bond yields a problem? Because right now it's the view of, oh, bad news is good news because then it keeps the Fed from being as hawkish as people thought they were going to be. But at what point do you start seeing the alarms go off about falling yields and, and what that really means in terms of a recession? Well, it, my view has been that we're in a recession and, and I'm of the view that bad news is good news. Um, we're combating inflation. 
we don't want to pivot. You don't you don't want to buy the market because you think there's going to be a pivot. You want the Federal Reserve to remain committed and disciplined in continuing to normalize rates higher and to enact balance sheet uh, tightening. So bad news is good news. And How? an economic contraction How? is the price that... Because How the economic news good because news? Do you want a recession? Do we want a me, recession? I mean, is the market priced for a recession now? Yes, the market's priced for a recession right now. It's not priced for a deep recession. And I'm sorry, but an economic contraction and a slowdown in demand is the price you pay for normalizing the ridiculous abnormalities of the last two years in the economy for the accommodative monetary policy and for the stimulus. You have to weaken demand yeah, but you're, to combat you. inflation. Yes, you do. But you're assuming that the Fed can thread the needle. Well, do they, why do they deserve okay. the, the benefit of the doubt that they can, in fact, do that? So as, as an equity investor, the comfort that I get is that 319 S&P companies have reported. We've got 14.8% revenue growth and 6% EPS growth. There's resiliency. Consumer spending is strong. Tonight, you're going to hear from Starbucks to get a further glimpse into what consumer spending is like. Chipotle told you consumer spending is strong. So the consumer and corporate environment is going to be the ones that are going to buffer a much deeper economic contraction. I'm not relying on the Federal Reserve for that. What I want the Federal Reserve to do is to respond to the inflation by staying committed to further tightening policy. Well, they, they seem intent on doing that. I mean, it's kind of Good. undeniable, Shannon, at this point, risk is definitely back on. I mean, Bank of America says the fifth week of buying. Clients were net buyers of equities for the fifth straight week. Inflows from all groups, hedge funds, institutional, retail. City is talking about positioning. Watch out for short, uh, short squeeze risk in, increasing there. Uh, the ARC rebound is up 13% in a month. All of these are signs that risk is being put back on. Is that wise or not? I, I think that there is, you know, potentially some risk in that for the next six to eight weeks, Scott. I, I think that perhaps people are getting a little bit too enthusiastic to your earlier comments about a pivot. Um, but to Joe's point, and I think it's an important point, um, if you look historically about when stocks sell off, they sell, sell, sell off into and at the beginning of a recession. And so whether the NBER decides that this is a recession or not, we certainly have a meaningful economic slowdown. And so have we priced that in is your question. Perhaps we have in certain sectors and industries. Again, I think you need to be thoughtful. These flows that you're talking about, um, they're coming into certain parts of the market. There are certainly some interested investors in the high valuation growth names, those less profitable or not at all profitable companies. Um, but I think that if we look at 2023, those aren't necessarily the ones that are going to have this V-shaped rebound. I think there is going to be tailwinds in terms of execution by management teams. I think overall growth will be a headwind. And so if you're buying equities because you think we are going to have a V-shaped sharp recovery in the economy because the Fed is going to pivot and there's going to be easy money, that's not where I would be investing. I know, but it's but not. if you're looking out two to three years, if you're looking out two to three years and you want to earn um, earnings growth and you want to have some cash flow and benefit from that, 
then yes, because right now bonds still have a ways to go. They're going to go back up above three. There's no doubt in my mind that's going to happen. Um, but in the interim, equities are to add to over the next couple of years, a good place to be. But you don't have to do it today. I mean, it's not even that selective, Steph, when you look at the data. I mean, it, back to the Bank of America inflows in nine of 11 sectors. Right. So it's not that selective, uh, led by tech and comm services. I mean, that's where the action has been of late. Does that sector do those sectors, tech, comm services, you know, Apple and et cetera, do those hold the key? Because some suggest that they do. They now hold the key. Apple's above 160. You know, you look at across that space and a lot of those stocks have done uh, pretty darn well. X X meta. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the one that I own. When you I didn't mean add, to bring that up. <laughs> it slipped. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, technology and comm services is about 35% of the S&P 500. So, of course, this, these two sectors have to do well. And I think you are seeing pockets that are doing well. Cybersecurity, for one, that I'm very interested in seeing how, like, uh, like uh, Fortinet does. And you know I own that one, for sure. Uh, some of the software companies. And, of course, you know I recently got back into Broadcom. Some of the semiconductor names, those are more cyclical than anything, right? So if they can actually do well, that's why AMD is so important tonight. If they can do well, that might give a little boost or more of a boost on top of the July gains that we, that we saw. But I don't think it's just all technology. I mean, look at some of these energy companies and what they're reporting and the free cash flow and the special dividends that keep on coming and the buybacks. I mean, Chevron last week, it's amazing what they're doing in terms of putting the cash to shareholder appreciation. Um, and so I like that sector as well. But again, I don't want to get so overweight one sector or the other, not in this environment. The market is giving you looks and you can buy those looks on the declines. And that's what I've kind of been doing. I know we're going to talk about that in the next block anyway. Yeah, but I just wonder some respects are, are you know, at some point, are they false looks, what the market's giving you? Head fake. Let's bring in our halftime headliner now. I waited as long as I could to bring in Veritas Financial founder and managing partner, Greg Branch. He joins us now. He likes to mix it up, as I've learned very well in overtime. So you, what do you make of what you've heard? I wanted you to suck it all in and take it all in and think about what you wanted to come back at, at folks with. And what is it? Look, I agree with what much of what was said, Scott. At the end of the day, it depends on what your timeline is. Over the next few weeks, I think we'll see continued strength from those we saw strength from. At the end of the day, uh, consumer spending and travel and entertainment is strong. We've not only seen that from the leisure companies themselves, but we saw that from the credit card companies a few weeks back. Uh, we saw growth and we saw sustained demand at some of the tech companies. You know, when you look at the cloud businesses, they grew 30% at, um, at Amazon and Google, 40% plus at Microsoft. Yes, it was less than it was a year ago, but it's still sustained growth that we're not seeing from other sectors. The problem is, and, and here's where I disagree, I think with Charlie a little bit, is that I do think that Jay Powell probably made a mistake. He probably did not mean to signal to the market that the program of fighting inflation is over. And that's what he did. And that gave the green light to put well, risk back on. He didn't say it was very over. Way. He didn't say it was over. He just made everybody feel, oh, not everybody. He made some people feel as though this was the beginning of the end. Not over, but that they weren't going to go overboard. The program it, Scott was over and that everything from here on would be a singular ad hoc decision based on the data. That's very different than saying we have an aggressive multi-hike continued for the next six months program of fighting inflation 
And while I agree with Stephanie, there is a lag effect to what they've done thus far. We haven't seen any impact yet. And so we've been claiming that it peaked at 7%. We've been claiming, or others have been claiming that it peaked at 8%. And now we're claiming that it peaked at 9%. And while we may see some tangential evidence that that is true, there are other parts that I continue, that I expect to continue to power through, like the rent component, like the energy component. Uh, while we saw a pullback yesterday, there's some structural reasons why I think that we'll see those things reemerge. So at the end of the day, we haven't seen a significant impact yet from what they've done. So it was curious to me that he would, uh, depending on how you heard it, that he would sidestep and say, okay, from here on out, it would be singular decisions based on the data. And we haven't necessarily seen any impact yet from from the previous actions, which came, as it's, you know, I've said for a long time, yeah. too late and too late. It's, it's, it, you say it the right way, too. I mean, it's depending on how you heard it. The market obviously heard what it wanted to hear. Fed officials have since, Steph, come out and suggested, well, maybe all of you guys got it wrong because that's not really what the message was. Nonetheless, the market's sticking with its story because there hasn't been a great reversal in the days following what Powell said and how it was interpreted. What about Greg's points? Well, I think he makes a lot of I think he makes a lot of great, great points. I think we're actually in agreement on a lot of the things. I think it's going to be choppy because we just don't know what the Fed is going to do. And that is a big unknown. Right. And I don't even think they know what they're going to do. But, Greg, I want to ask you a question. Do you think they're going to be able to shrink the balance sheet as aggressively as they say they are expecting to do? Well, the data says no right now, right, Steph? They had a target of $47 billion for June, and they didn't meet it. And from what I've seen so far, they haven't met their July target. So that's going a lot slower than I think that they anticipated uh, based on the data that we've seen thus far. The answer would have to be no. There you go. Bad news is good news again, right, Michael Farr? Because if they can't do, you know, can't unload the balance sheet at the speed they wanted to, well, maybe rates aren't going to go up. Maybe it's not going to be as much tightening as the market thought. And then uh, thus that becomes, as Joe said, bad news becomes good news for stocks. Mr. Farr. I mean, clearly they're trying to be careful, Scott. You know, uh, they're trying to be scared, careful. They, they, they're having a big impact. Their big risk is that they overstep and tighten too much, and that's probably what they're going to do. But they don't need to compound that by uh, overdoing it on the balance sheet. I think, uh, I think that Greg's right. I think Jay Powell got out of that presser and went, damn, that's not what I meant. Why did they hear that? Greg, I read your notes, uh, and I was interested for you to read that you think we're going to retest the bottom and that you think this bottom, whatever bottom comes, is going to come in September. Uh, Tell me why Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs still calling for lower lows. How does this work out for you? Look, and this is all pure conjecture on my part, uh, but, uh, you know, some of this has turned out to be right in the last year. So I'll conjecture on uh, at the beginning of this year. I thought that um, I, I was actually pretty vocal in saying that I thought we'd see a recession this year. And in January, my price target on the S&P 500 was thirty eight hundred. That was fair value to me. Uh, there were concerns that I had at the time, and I think that by September, we will be through many of them. At the end of the day, one of them was that analyst estimates were far too high. Well, guess what happened in June? We got about a 3% reduction on bottoms-up EPS, which, if you throw out Q2 of 20, was one of the largest we've seen in years in the first month of a quarter. So the analysts are getting is back that, to... Is that earnings revision going to be enough? I don't know. But that it has started and that it is underway is a comfort to me. 
just like we don't need to be at 3% inflation for the market to find comfort. So at some point, it will indeed peak. I don't know if we've seen the peak. I doubt it, to be honest with you. Why not? I think next month is it. Why not? I mean, there are so I many signals. There are so many signals that suggest that inflation has not only peaked, but is coming down. I mean, CPI is ridiculous. Such a lagging indicator. It doesn't really tell you anything about what the current state of inflation is. That's why it's not even the Fed's preferred measure of it. But it's obvious if you look around that many different areas, particularly around commodities, if not all of them, have started to come down. I think that there are a couple of unfactored risks to the supply chain that we haven't even talked about yet. Uh, the fact that Nancy Pelosi is in Taiwan right now is a risk to the supply chain and its, uh, its recovery. Uh, the fact that BA5 may have a widespread effect in China is a risk to the supply chain. Strikes in Europe, uh, the weaponization of Nord Stream. I think all of these things are structural issues that have yet to fully have their impact. And at least for August, and, and September, while the consumer is still spending, as we're seeing from these earnings reports, that will continue to have pressure on both sides, that the consumer hasn't withdrawn sufficiently yet, and the supply chain hasn't healed sufficiently yet. And so all of these data points right, that, have, that are showing moderation, we've been talking about that for months. This is not the first time that we've talked about that, and yet still we get 9.1% and 48 well, we're going to see what the read is uh, next week, I suppose. Greg, thank you. As always, that's Greg Branch uh, joining us from uh, Veritas. We'll see you again soon. Stay with us. We'll get to Stephanie Link's latest portfolio move. She has many to talk about. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back. I was just looking at shares of TJX. They are down one and three quarters percent right now, undoubtedly because Stephanie Link has just sold that stock. <laughs> Steph, yeah. now yeah. we've talked about this one for a long time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You've owned this for years unless you had gotten out and then gotten back in recently. But this is a long term name for you, isn't it? Very long term. And I do like off price. and I do like TJ a lot. 
And I think that they will benefit from the inventories, the excess inventories we're seeing. I think Marmax is probably going to kill it in terms of comps. But they have very, very tough comparisons in home goods and home sense. And that's been the driver of the excitement of the market multiple going higher over time. Um, and they also have 11% exposure in Europe. And I am very concerned about Europe and the consumer over there. So I just felt like I did make some money. Last year was a disappointment. This year it's held up relative, but I made some money and I wanted to put it in elsewhere in other names that I thought were more compelling. Let's get specific. How long, in fact, have you owned the stock? Ballpark figure. Oh, okay. I mean, I think it's been five years. Yeah, at least I think I remember speaking to you about it for five years. So it's up 75% in five years. Now, granted, it's down 19%. Uh, year to date. So it's given some of that back. It sounds like you're afraid yeah. they're going to give more back and you want to get out before they do so. I, I think so. I mean, I think the home story was really the excitement of the story, right? And, and that's the reason why it got the multiple that it did. And it trades at a premium multiple to the other off pricers. And so I think that as housing normalizes, I think that's they're going to struggle. Um, again, really good company. I mean, they even beat last quarter and they raised their margin target last quarter. So it was kind of painful for me to decide to do this. But I think it's the prudent thing to do to take the money off the table. OK, now let's talk about what you bought more of. Let's stay retail target. Yeah. Why'd you buy more target? And it's now my largest retail position because I keep adding to it. It's down 28%. We all know the bad news, Scott. We all know the $2 billion worth of inventory in excess that they have, right? They already kitchen sink the number. The margin number is 2%, down from 8% the beginning of the year. And it now trades at 13 times the widest spread to the S&P 500 in 10 years. And I just think the second half of this year and definitely into next year is a better setup as they continue to gain market share against its competitors. Hmm. Now, you really think they kitchen sinked it, right? Because, I mean, the, yeah. the, the knock here was that they thought they they gave you the, the picture and then they they had to update it even more negative than they first thought. What 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 leads you to believe that it's not going to continue to get worse? Right. The, the well, Walmart because- effect. Well, Walmart waited in terms of of talking about their numbers coming down for the second time, right? So Target just went out a month after they lowered guidance, and so they want to get on top of it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a quarter too early, but I do think Cornell is a good CEO. I think this management team is excellent. I think the balance sheet is terrific. The market share is good. And at 13 times, let's say I'm wrong on earnings. Maybe it's 15 times, right? So if numbers have to come down further, it's still super cheap in my book. Okay, Joe, you just sold Target. Let's debate this. What, what, what do you make of what Steph had to I say did. here? I, I don't see it. The revenue is, is on the decline. It's been on the decline over the last four quarters. Stephanie cites the momentum, which has been awful. I swapped out of Target. I went into Dollar General. I think the opportunity there is, is far better, in particular, as we look at the economy moving forward. Uh, the, one, the one thing that could bail Target out maybe would be a relaxation of some of the tariffs, with China, Walmart, and uh, Target would benefit in that environment, but I disagree. I want to be on the sidelines with Target. Steph, last word on that one. Well, when they lowered guidance, they didn't lower comp guidance. They didn't lower traffic guidance. They just talked about the mix shift changing. So it's just a matter of time for their, so for them to clear these inventories. And I think that's what they've been doing for the last quarter. So I just think at 13 times, it's discounting a heck of a lot of bad news. And I think this is a top-notch company. And this is exactly by definition of buying quality on sale. Okay. So speaking of a stock that's been awful, Nike, right? You bought more. <laughs> it, it, well, it has been awful. Why are you laughing? Uh, it's been, I know, awful. it's been awful, but I didn't I, ha- I just bought it recently. I just bought it a month ago. No, so I know. I, I was going to say, I know, I know, I know, I know. Why are you buying more of it? 
Well, it too is trading at the low end of its historical range. It's not nearly as cheap as Target, but this is a, the number one player in the industry. And I think it's gotten hit because of China, right? And I think China actually, as they reopen, that'll help. They've got, gotten hit because of higher inventories, because of supply chain. And I think these things kind of get worked through this year and into next year. And I think they can grow in the second half of the year, double digit earnings growth. And we have a DTC story, which helps really on the margin front. And so they're talking about mid uh, double digit numbers on margins over the next several years. And then what we talk about with margins as margins go higher and the demand is actually getting better, you have operating leverage. And I think it's not going to happen next quarter, not at all. In fact, the quarter could look ugly because of China. But I do think that over the long term, you are getting the number one company on sale with a blue chip, blue chip balance sheet and free cash flow. Okay. Now, that brings me to Meta, which you yes. bought more of. Doubling down, well, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I know. Uh, why? I'm, I'm trying to buy low and lower and lower and lower. But look, if I'm not going to buy this thing at 13 times earnings or eight times even EBITDA, when we know the bad news about digital advertising is out there, we know about monetizing reels is out there. But I do. I, I think that then I never will buy it, right? So I like the free cash flow, 24 billion in free cash flow. I think their user base is really quite strong. And I think they are going to get Reels monetization fixed. And in fact, they did do a much better job this past quarter. We knew they were going to lower guidance. It was no worse than I expected. So this is just an ugly story for now. But I think over the next couple of years, I think it will work its way through it. And I, I think you'll see a, a higher stock price as a result. All right. You like a good turnaround story. We're going to see what happens with this one. All right, Steph, thank you. Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. Nancy Pelosi arriving at her hotel in Taiwan within the last hour. She's expected to meet with President Tsai tomorrow. Taiwan's foreign ministry says Pelosi's visit shows rock-solid U.S. support and will boost Taiwan-U.S. ties. British Airways suspending the sale of short-haul flight tickets departing from London's Heathrow Airport after airlines were asked to limit new bookings due to a severe labor shortage. And Georgia residents can now claim embryos as dependents on their state taxes, according to the state's revenue department. Any taxpayer in Georgia who has an unborn child or children with a detectable human heartbeat after July 20th, when the ruling came out, can claim a dependent on their 2022 taxes. And this just in, baseball superstar Juan Soto, the winner of this year's home run derby, is going to the San Diego Padres. That's a report uh, about a half hour ago from ESPN, which reports that the Washington Nationals will also send first baseman Josh Bell to the Padres in exchange for a package of players just ahead of today's trade deadline. So rough to see your favorite players moving on. Over to you. A bummer in D.C. Yeah. But then again, they've literally gotten rid of nearly everybody in the last few years, so maybe not a surprise. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs. All right, still ahead on the half, the state of industrials as Caterpillar falls after earnings. It's leading the Dow lower today, plus why Uber shares are soaring. And don't miss Santoli's midday word. That's coming up when we come back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. The industrials trying to hold on to gains today after climbing nearly 9% last month. The sector still is more than 10% off of its 52-week highs. One of the group's top holdings is Caterpillar. It is lower today. It's dragging the Dow down. Steph, talk to you first about this one. Uh, you sold it in March. You prefer yeah. deer. Why? What's the difference? Uh, they're both cyclical, but cat is ultimate cyclical, right? And if you think the macro is slowing, like we all know, then you don't necessarily want to own it. But I got I to tell you, it's hung in there. It's only down 9% year to date. It's beaten the market. It's beaten a lot of other stocks in the in the industrial sector. I thought the quarter was just fine. Inline EBIT orders were up 11%. That's impressive. They're talking about margin expansion in the second half of the year because of pricing power. They have supply chain issues. So it's down today, but I don't think it's going to stay down. If it were to fall more materially, I might take a look back at it. But I like deer because I like the precision farming and technology that they offer, which helps their margins expand between now and the end of the decade. Joe, deer over cat for you, too. Why? Same reasons? I like the... Yeah, I like the ag story. I like the replacement cycle on a lot of tractors. I like the autonomous nature of what's being introduced. I just think, as, as Stephanie said, uh, you've got such an economic sensitivity with Caterpillar. Deer, at least, you've got a supply demand and balance that we know is present for agriculture. So I'd stay more towards agriculture. I'd stay more towards uh, defense when I'm looking at the industrial sector. Michael Farr, Valmont is your industrial pick. Well, it's one that I've owned for a long time, Scott, and I've been buying on your show for a couple of years. It's up on the year. It's in the right space. Uh, they're earning money. You know, I mean, they continue to grow at kind of 10 to 15 percent earnings growth. Uh, they are in that sort of agricultural space, but also an expansion in 5G and all of these other things that continue to roll out. I, I have a more of a diversified portfolio there. So my Donaldson. FedEx, Otis, and Raytheon all in that space. And, and I'm really happy with all of them, particularly their balance sheets. Strong, good balance sheets will endure markets like this. And then you get performance out of these companies like do from Valmont. Shan, why is uh, Honeywell your choice? Yeah, I mean, I think between Honeywell, Rockwell, and Union Pacific, Scott, you know, we like the aerospace story, so that obviously we have some exposure to that in Honeywell. Um, but I think if we think about what we're looking for, is we're looking to re-import manufacturing back to the United States. And so for us, like I look at CAT, um, I'd rather actually be in the front end of that and something like a Martin Marietta in terms of the aggregate, the inputs into road building, for instance, rather than into heavy machinery. But I don't disagree. I mean, to Steph's point, this might start to look a lot more attractive if we do start to see some reemergence of secular headwind or tailwinds, especially in China. But for right now, um, it's just not a look for us. All right, Steph, you've seen this run that GE's been on? <laughs> yes, I have. It's the longest it in really 50 tough. years. <laughs> it's up 12 straight days. 
I know. Well, the Boeing news certainly helps GE, right? Because they supply the engines to, to GE. But but look, I mean, the quarter was pretty good. Organic growth of 5%, aviation of 27%, orders up uh, up, up 26%. Even healthcare, where they've had supply chain issues, up 4%. These are all really tremendous numbers from this company. I think Culp is doing an excellent job. The free cash flow was better than expected as well, and it's only going to get better. And they should do about $5 billion in free cash flow by the end of this year, which is really exciting for them. You know, they've been in a deficit for years. So, yeah, I mean, the turnaround is starting to work. Knock on wood. All right. Yeah, exactly. All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk Uber shares. They're sorry today as the company turns cash, uh, cash flow positive for the first time. The committee's take on that is next. We're back. Uber shares, they are surging today after a strong quarter that saw revenue grow 105% year over year. The company now cash flow positive for the first time. Now, the commentary today is from leading with Joe. If I had cash and room in my portfolio, I would buy Uber. I mean, you've had opportunities to buy it and you haven't to this point. Why not? And why suddenly now? So I am fully prepared for you to direct that question at me. And it's a great question. Well, why wouldn't Let I if you said if you had poetic. cash and room in your portfolio, <laughs> you buy? Who, who would I going to ask Steph about? What, something you said? <laughs> let me let me wax poetic okay. about Uber. Okay. Go ahead. Gross bookings up 30, a uh, gross bookings up 33 percent. A record number of users at 122 million managing tell you telling you how confident they are on the outlook introducing uber eats the delivery component of this business during the pandemic which differentiates them from lyft dramatically so why not buy the stock because i don't have room for it in my portfolio until i spoke to our producer patty and i went through my entire portfolio and i said which is the one name that i would sell to put Uber into the portfolio. I already own Bank of America. I own Morgan Stanley. I own Goldman Sachs. And I bought JP Morgan too darn high. And it's just sitting there doing nothing for me. So how about I kick JP Morgan out of the portfolio and I buy Uber? I don't know what everyone thinks of that, but that's exactly what I think I'm going to do. Wow. So it's not something you've done yet, but you're going to do it. I am going to do it. That is correct. When are you going to do it? Today? You... Maybe I'll show up on overtime <laughs> this don't afternoon. Don't do it, Joe. And I'll don't do it, it Joe. Then. Well, I'm going to pin you down. Don't do I mean, it. Don't do it, Joe. Then my peeps Wait, are going to do it. Why, why Michael? Michael? Michael, why not? What? I, Mike, okay, I, I'm not I, doing it. I, I can get 20. I think. Joe, Go ahead. finish your thought, then Michael respond. Let's do it that way. Michael, Michael, I think there is a 20 to 25 percent upside ahead based on what I heard today from Uber. I don't think I'm getting 20 to 25 percent from J.P. Morgan based on what I heard from Jamie Dimon. Yeah. And OK, here's what I can't do, though, Joe, and maybe you can do it with your discipline, but I can't with mine. The company doesn't have earnings. And as much as I admire the CEO, as much as what I think that, 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 that they've done in the turnaround and the new innovation and everything else, they, they don't have earnings. And I just can't let my admiration for a CEO and the appreciation for the innovation. Stephanie and I were talking about this earlier, won't drag me away from my discipline. 
not owning earnings in a market like this, I think, can be perilous. And if we see another down leg here, I think a company like Uber can really get slammed and could hurt that performance longer term. Well, Michael, so I, I'm looking for earnings, Joe. You, you called it to our producers a speculative stock. Really? You, yes. You think Uber is a speculative yeah, stock? Absolutely. Yes. Anything without earnings is a speculative stock. Oh, absolutely. I, I need to see earnings and I want to see earnings growth. And I want to see a management team that actually knows how to grow earnings and manage debt during a very difficult environment. This is a brand new company, new innovation. They're getting through it. But no, not when I can own other solid balance sheets and growers. I, I mean, it's money's too hard to make to kind of play with. I mean, I, you know, I, there's there's some who would take issue with, with you calling it a new company. I mean, you can make the case that it's a mature company. I mean, that. They still have innovative things that they're doing to try and grow their business. But I don't know. Stephanie Link, where do you come down I'm, on this? I'm too, I'm too mature to call it new. I mean, to not call it new. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh -huh. Steph, gonna, settle it here. Quarter. I mean, it's not, there's not only the Uber. There's not only the Uber decision here. There's the getting rid of J.P. Morgan decision here. I would not own JP Morgan. It's too expensive. It always has been. And I don't think they've delivered the last two quarters. So I have no problem with selling JP Morgan, but I wouldn't sell any of the other banks that, that Joe owns because I do I do like them and I own some of them as well. The Uber quarter was it was a thing of beauty, right? Across the board. Adjusted EBITDA was eight hundred million better than last year, and that's huge for a company of this size. Total revenues beat, free cash flow is huge. So it was it was outstanding. I get why the stock is up, even though it's up, it's still down 33 percent on the year. I, I, I fall into Michael Farr's camp of it doesn't have earnings in this kind of an environment. When the when the Fed is raising rates, I think it's just going to be a challenge. And so, yeah, maybe it pops. Maybe Joe is right in the short term and it could pop and the momentum traders get in it. But I don't think it has the longevity, yep. not given the macro backdrop. OK, stay with us. Santoli's Midday Word is up next in two minutes. We're back on the half. A senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is here with his midday word. What 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 do you think of midday word? I mean, we talked about bad news is good news. Is is that what you're feeling a little bit as well? Uh, bad news in the sense of the job openings numbers. Perhaps uh, that's a pretty kind of painless way to absorb some weakening in the labor market. Obviously, that's the the softish landing scenario. I think it tells us that the Treasury yield curve is the market's mood ring right now. So once it stopped flattening so dramatically, uh, you got a little bit of a, of a lift to equity. Seems like tactically, the S&P 500 wants to see what the, the June highs look like. That's pretty close near, uh, by, just above where we're trading right now. And uh, you still have some support from very, very kind of underexposed large systematic hedge funds. Everyone pointing to that. You know, if there has to be a chase, if the market doesn't really buckle soon, maybe there's a little follow on me mechanical buying. Don't think it really tells us, though, whether the macro story in the next few weeks are going to support uh, a lot further upside. I, I read out that uh, that B of A flow data, you know, five straight weeks of buying and most recently across, you know, all areas, hedge funds, uh, retail institutions, et cetera. Yeah. So it's like risk is definitely getting back on. At least sentiment towards that direction is seems right. somewhat robust. But, but from super washed out levels, mm -hmm. we have to, I mean, with, with the exception of high net worth retail, which really has not, uh, you know, exited the market in an aggressive way on the way down, 
professional money was basically as underexposed to stocks as you tend to get uh, back, uh, you know, back, let's say, six weeks ago. So I think it's a little bit of, a, of an unwind of the bearishness as opposed to people getting a lot more confident oh. in the upside. All right. I'll see you in a bit. For your last word, a few yeah. hours from now, Mike Santoli up next. We have some trades ahead of a few big earnings in overtime tonight, including Starbucks and AMD. We'll do it next. Have a busy overtime in a few hours. We have some big earnings coming. Starbucks, number one. Stephanie Link, you own it. Howard Schultz is back. What do we think here? Well, it's not going to be a pretty quarter because China was closed the whole quarter. So I think China's going to be an absolute mess like it was last quarter. But I think the U.S. will, will show resiliency last quarter. Remember, they, they had a comp of 12 percent and they had margins that were better than expected. I expect the U.S. results to do better. So, um, But I own this for the long term. Schultz is in, as you mentioned. They have an analyst day on, uh, in September that I hope will be a catalyst. And they suspended the buyback, $20 billion, that they're going to invest in the company over the next couple of years, which is what they should do. So I like the, the story for the long term, but tonight's not going to be a pretty uh, print. Michael Farr, is that your expectation, too? Don't have your hopes too high for tonight? Yeah, don't have your hopes too high. I mean, I've owned them through. I've owned Starbucks a long time. I've, I'm not going to sell a stock because of just a tough quarter, particularly when it's something as understandable as China. They're investing a lot of money in the U.S. They have to get the employee situation right. I think Howard Schultz gets this done over the long term. I'm sticking with this company. I'm eager to see what happens with these numbers tonight. Okay, Shan, uh, Intel's pain becomes AMD's continued gain. Is that what we learn tonight in OT? I think so. Uh, definitely con some concerns about gaming slowdowns, and, and we'll see if they comment on that. Um, but we think AMD is going to continue to grow market share, um, and that will allow it to, this stock to continue to appreciate. So that's what we're looking to hear in the, in the earnings call this afternoon. Joe, you own AMD as well. I have a lot at stake this evening, owning AMD and recently buying NVIDIA. I need the gross margins around 55%. Free cash flow generation strong, a little less than $2 billion. These are the things I want to hear, but there's a lot at stake tonight. Must be why I think you're with me in overtime, because you've got a lot on the line. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do I final do. trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Overtime, three hours from now, 4 o'clock Eastern time, big earnings in overtime. Starbucks, Airbnb, PayPal, and of course, AMD. Joe Terranova will be, be with me there to react to all that. Kerry Firestone, the number one chip analyst, Stacey Rascon as well. I hope to see all of you there. All right, let's do final trades. Michael Farr, please go first. Uh, you got to watch overtime tonight to see these earnings. Disney is my final trade. It's, uh, it's going to, I think, still come back down 37% off the highs, growing earnings like at 15%. I like Disney. Their businesses are coming back. Thor, Love and Thunder's doing great. Streaming's doing great. Okay. Thank you for that. Stephanie Link. Diamondback Energy, I can't believe it opened down this morning, but it's uh, recovered nicely. EBITDA and total revenue beat, record free cash flow, paying down debt, a new $2 billion buyback on top of the other $2 billion that they had. They're minting money. Okay. Shannon? Workday. We actually bought this one uh, late June. This is a great example of a software stock that's going to continue to be able to grow subscribers over the course of the next couple of years. Human resources and enterprise resource management, incredibly important in a hybrid environment. Okay. Joe T. 
on Semiconductor. You and I spoke about it on set yesterday. Take advantage of the earnings sell-off. Today, the stock has bounced back nicely. Within 5% of its all-time high, it's going to get there. Hey, Michael Farr, quickly, give me something on PayPal, which you own. This stock's gotten obliterated, right? Down 70% from the high. What are your it's, expectations tonight? Are they so low or, or what? Yeah, I, I, I've, I've started nibbling on the stock. I couldn't own it for a long time. I think it's going to be one of the leaders. And yes, this company's going to make some money. But at these levels, mm. this is when I start to buy when everybody else hates it. All right, good stuff. Good to see everybody. I'll see you in a few. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.